Imagine That Studios presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 5 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Eliza, is that you? <laughs> Stay calm. I'm sending in the team. We'll have you extracted in no time. A team? To the archives? <laughs> we finally tracked you down. We were all so worried. But whoever has you is going to pay Eliza, for... Eliza! Eliza, I've just been sick. <clears throat> sick? <laughs> yes. Yes, I've, I've just been... Didn't you read the note I left on your desk? Well, actually, my desk is a bit of a mess. And honestly, after this long, I thought the house or the Illuminati had captured you. In the archives? Well, I did think that was a little strange. (laughs) Eliza, don't worry. I'm feeling better. And normal transmissions are resuming immediately. Oh. I'm... I'm... I'm fine. Just come back to the archives. Oh. Uh, Okay. All right, then. I... I think I might just, uh, come in and clean up my desk and maybe cancel the strike team. That would probably be best. The Omaru Incident, Part 2 The ground came up hard, but both Aroha and Darling managed to land in a most proper fashion, one that did not involve sprained or broken ankles. Well now, Darling said with a sigh of relief, nice to know I'm not too old for such shenanigans. That mountaineer of yours, well done. Aroha slipped her wrist free of the gun handle strap, took the weight and the stress of the two of us. It did rather well, didn't it? Aroha could feel her smile melt away. You never tested it before? Well, it was supposed to work in theory, so... And he shrugged. Just delightful, yes? If they made it out of this improvised mission alive, Aroha was going to kill him. Stay close were the only words she could manage at the moment. In the darkness of the courtyard, there was very little for Araha to see, but with the white stone of Omoru remaining somewhat pale in the darkness, she could see a door within reach. No guards. And why would there be, as there was a two-story wall protecting this access point? With her brandishing a crack shot and Darling brandishing a bulldog on the other side of the doorway, Araha reached for the handle and gently squeezed. The latch slipped within its metal housing, and the door opened with the softest of groans. "'Guess they were not expecting anyone to get over the wall,' Darling whispered. Aroha shot him a glare before opening the door a bit wider. She slipped into the building, crept to her right, and nuzzled tight into a dark corner— 
before finally taking in what Meeks kept secret. There were sounds echoing throughout the open storage space, something that sounded like random communications. Some languages she was able to pick out. Other sounds she could only assume were languages, but they sounded like random chirps, growls, and other unintelligible mutterings. Odder still were some communications that, while understandable, spoke of things that were total hornswoggle. Words like roll complete and tranquility base, with a constant rumble akin to the tanifa stirring in its lair in the background, echoed all around her. The noise was unsettling, disorientating, at least to her. Magnificent, Darling whispered from behind her. Come again? Don't you see? The Venusians, in order to travel here, are using some sort of chronodimensional technology, a science far beyond our comprehension. Araha furrowed her brow. I'm sorry, chrono-what? Chrono-dimensional? Only theorized by the maddest of imaginations. Darling chuckled on hearing the words. <laughs> Go to throttle full challenger, before explaining. It is believed that... In order to travel great distances, instead of focusing on speed, one possibility is to bring your destination closer to you by manipulating space and time on a dimensional plane. Darling then motioned to the cacophony of transmissions floating in the air. To do so, though, would actually open ether portals to other locations of time and space. Araha blinked. Are you saying that we are listening to ether transmissions from the future? Possible future, yes. And possible civilizations both here and elsewhere. Another question formed on the tip of her tongue, but Aroha never asked it, as her gaze caught sight of a strange chair. It resembled that of one she would have seen in a dentist's office, only this one was stark white, sturdier in build, and not only restrained patience by the arm, but by the ankle as well. Aroha leaned forward to dare a glance free of their hiding place. This chair was one of a row of dentists' chairs, all of their occupants restrained at the wrists and ankles. Aroha could also see restraints going across patients' foreheads and some horrific metallic apparatus reaching across their eyes. They were all reclined back, their attentions forced on a repeating pattern of lines, shapes and figures, playing in a seamless loop on a screen before them. The lady and gentleman walking through the rows took notes, consulted readouts on the screen and then dropped something into their eyes. Water, perhaps? A door shut from the opposite end of the room and in walked Bollings. And how are our hosts behaving? The lady looked up from her clipboard and Aroha managed to stifle a gasp. It was Lady Adele Attenfield. No change in their vitals. Everything here appears normal. We have other hosts in Bay 2 awaiting assignment. And Bay 3? Lady Attenfield looked up from her clipboard. She gave a light chuckle. <laughs> it is most difficult enough abducting and subduing 20 people without notice... And you want an additional 40 to disappear without questions? Depends on the people you subdue now, isn't it? The woman stared at him for a moment before turning her attention to where Bollings had come from. 
expecting someone, Dr. Selene? Bollings asked. With ground troops arriving, I would have expected the Katov would be accompanying you. Bollings nodded, casting his glance up and down the rows of hosts. Yes, he should be here, shouldn't he? What a shame. Tugging on his waistcoat, he proceeded to what looked like a private staircase next to them. From the mayor's descent, the staircase was spiral in its design. If you need me, I'll be down here with my host. Just have a few questions for him. Very well, Selene replied. Aroha started at the sudden tap on her shoulder. Darling was motioning with his head to where Bollings had disappeared. Yes, it would be the most logical place to proceed to, but Selene and her assistant were in direct sight of them. So, Aroha thought as she reached into the pouch by her belt, let's send their attention elsewhere. She would only need one of Thor's overhands, she took from Darling's arsenal. The small button inset within the palm-sized device could easily have been missed. Once her thumb brushed the detonator's edge, Aroha pressed it firmly, felt the click, then rolled the ball between the aisle of dentist chairs. She pushed Darling back into the corner and waited for the flash she would see, even through her closed eyes. A dull pop and thick smoke emerged from the floor, taking on the semblance of an angry spirit rising from the grave. Aroha held up a hand as Selene and her countrymen, on shouting something to one another in a tongue that did not sound anything like a language, raced towards the smoke. Her hand dropped, and both Aroha and Darling crept their way to the oubliette. The crack shot was up and pointing forward as they descended into the dim, dark chamber. A dank, musty smell assailed her nose as she crept further down. Instead of a proper floor, this basement's floor was merely sand and earth. There were also thick patches of some sort of gas. The closer Aroha came to the ground, the more the air turned foul. She glanced back at Darling, who was putting his ascot up to use as a makeshift mask. Aroha reached for the scarf around her neck and proceeded to do the same. Agents Darling and Murphy, Bolling said cheerily rising from a comfortable high-back chair seated next to a lone dentist's one. So happy for you to join us! A thousand pardons for the smell, but it does blunt the edge of my pining for home. Can't enjoy it for too long, but still, sentimentality is a weakness of mine. Aroha braced the crack shot against her body, while Darling pointed his own bulldog forward. He was muttering something to himself. Please, she thought quickly. Now is not the time to fall apart on me. You know, Bollings here is quite excited about the arrival of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, though I can't seem to understand why. He patted the chair's unseen occupant, the real Mayor Bollings, without a doubt, before taking another step closer. I'm hoping you two can offer more insight on this sensation called hope. Most exhilarating it is. Don't come any closer, Araha warned, her voice echoing slightly. Darling was still chattering on to himself. What was wrong with the man? Oh, I would advise against that, he said, motioning to the crack shot. Lest we send this structure above our heads crashing down on us. He nodded towards the ground as he said, her methane is not poisonous, but rather flammable. 
Still, he continued forward. Araha pulled back one of the crack shot's hammers. I said, stay back. Oh, now things are getting far too dangerous, Bollings double stated. Here, allow me. Bollings' lower jaw unlocked itself with a quick snap, dropping the mandible to his own breast. A guttural hiss sent a vicious blue ball flying out of his mouth to slap around Aroha's right hand. On contact, Aroha screamed as this muck covering her hand burned into her skin. The crack shot clattered to the ground and she fell back into Darling's arms. He pushed aside the acidic goo off her hand, but the pain was not subsiding. With a flick of his head, Bolling's jaw snapped back into place. That's much better. Much safer. No, 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 Araha heard whispered into her ear. This is not right. Not right at all. I have a feeling, Bolling said, continuing to close the distance between them. The congregation will learn much from you. Araha reached across her body with her left hand and felt the cool metal of another Thor's overhand. She mashed her thumb against the detonator and tossed it at Bolling's feet, which she could barely see on account of the wisp of gas just covering them. She screwed her eyes shut just before the flash detonated, in turn igniting the flammable gas. Bollings stumbled back as the flames crept up his legs. His screams drowned out as he slipped into another patch of gas. Stay on the bare spots, Darling said as he scrambled past her. While the pockets of methane were visible, the patches themselves were not huge. Araha glanced over at the flailing doppelganger of Omaru's mare, now consumed in flame and staggering aimlessly away from them. He finally dropped, landing into another patch of gas which flared angrily on ignition. Help me, Agent Murphy, Darling urged. Aroha gently removed the clasps from the real Bollings's eyes and slipped the band free from his forehead as Darling removed the ankle and torso restraints. Right then, easy does it now, Darling urged. Lord Mayor, Conrad, can you hear me? The mayor was acting as if he was coming out of a long, deep sleep. He sagged heavily where he sat and struggled to lift his own head. It smells of shit in here. I know, and it's all wrong, all wrong, Darling insisted. But can you get up? I don't. Then his eyes landed on Aroha. He looked her over from head to foot. Who are you? Agent Aroha Murphy, she began, taking his arm and draping it across her own neck. Ministry of Peculiar... Bollings wrenched his arm away from her. Know your place, girl, he snapped. Darling, if you please... Darling immediately helped the man to his feet, shaking his head. You really are a bastard, Conrad, you know that? Araha, can you still shoot? With my left hand, yes. Whatever the copy of Bollings had spat on her, her right hand was now numb and locked in a strange claw-like fashion. With the one good hand, she took hold of the crack shot. She would have to get clever in trying to account for recoil. Right hand is completely buggered. Then I pray for keen ambidexterity in your family, Murphy. Darling walked up to the base of the staircase. Take point. Be careful. They were just about halfway up the staircase when a strange alarm sounded from the floor above them. The voice that spoke sounded much like Lady Adele, now Dr. Selene. 
Attention, attention. Infinity Room is now secure. Establishing Etherlock with Homeworld. Darling, Araha said, what time is it? With a free hand, he fished out his pocket watch. According to my piece, uh, twenty minutes to four in the morning. The ground forces. And Araha pulled back a second hammer on the crack shot. The first wave of soldiers are en route. Then push on, Darling said, hefting the mare upwards as he climbed. It will be up to the three of us to stop these invaders. Araha continued to climb, hesitating only at the top of the staircase. It was hard to hear over the klaxons, but whatever stealth they had in their favour was sacrificed when the bollings double was fed to the fire underneath them. From the floor above her, she heard a bone pop. Araha stood up from her crouch and led the way with the crack shot. The four-barrelled weapon was now inside the Lady Adele Attenfield's wide-open mouth. She felt the crack shot stop, heard Lady Adele gag slightly, and that was when Araha pulled the trigger. The top two barrels discharged, and the founder and president of the Omaru Women's Literary Club lurched backwards before collapsing to the ground. Aroha emerged from the spiral staircase and heard two screams off to her left. They were both flanking a huge metallic hatch, a kind of door that would have been better suited for a military airship or submersible. Her crack shot managed to take out one of the townsfolk, but the other managed to release a spit attack at her, the disgusting blue saliva slapping against her side. Her skin tingled, but her clothes appeared to protect her from whatever these Venusians used for attack. Her last shot jerked the man's head back before sending him to the ground. No, uh, no, 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 Darling muttered, carrying Bollings over to where Araha was attempting to use one hand to reload her crack shot. This is all wrong. What are you on about, darling? Araha demanded. Downstairs, we should not have been able to breathe, Darling said, dropping the mare beside them. Colour was returning to his face, but he still appeared groggy. According to our astro-automatons, Venus's atmosphere is a mix of carbon dioxide with sulfuric acid. It's a hellish wasteland. But downstairs, we were breathing. Barely, Araha said before snapping the crack shot shut. It stank down there. A shrill collection of battle cries sounded over the klaxons. Aroha and Darling opened fire on a small team of townspeople. Two looked like burly dock workers, and they were brandishing polished double-bladed swords that were not of any culture she knew on this world. Another of their attackers looked as if she were a kindly old woman, her clothes, hands, and cheeks decorated with flour. A baker of some description? In her right hand, though, she carried an ether weapon well beyond the imagination of Wellington officers' R&D. Where a cylinder would be for bullets, this pistol had a strange glowing blue orb. Inside the thick glass was a brilliant blue liquid. Their final attacker was a businessman of some description, his suit immaculate. The bizarre addition of a rifle made of the same design and power source as the baker's ether weapon did clash with the gentleman's fashion. A little voice whispered to Aroha that these four people were in one of those dentist's chairs that Dr. Selene was tending to earlier. Yes, uh, quite observant, Darling said, quickly reloading his bulldog. 
It was quite the odour, much like sulphur, but far more earthly. Methane, Agent Murphy, methane gas. He shook his hand. That is not what would be common or comfortable for Venusians. I beg a pardon, she asked, working to reload her weapon again. Don't you recall what he said, Agent Murphy? A thousand pardons for the smell, but it does blunt the edge of my pining for home. Methane is not a gas commonly found on Venus. Then Darling froze, his skin matching the colour of his cream linen suit. But it is found. His bottom lip quivered. Oh, dear God, no. What? Araha asked. Darling's gaze fixed itself to the infinity room. The invaders are not Venusians. The klaxons continued, but now red lights surrounding a grand metal hatch suddenly switched to green. With a great hiss, the metallic hatch slowly groaned open. What emerged from the quick bursts of light inside the infinity room only made it appear taller and more menacing. But in truth, Araha did not think these invaders needed any sort of assistance in looking more of a danger. The lead soldier resembled a praying mantis, but instead of a brilliant green skin, this praying mantis was a dark shade of blue. Along its crooked arms and over its triangular head, it wore shiny black armour, and across its arms it carried an ether weapon, similar to the gentleman's that Araha fell, only designed to accommodate a raptoral foreleg. It was truly the strangest praying mantis Araha had ever seen, its other two characteristics making the extraterrestrial insect even more bizarre. Araha had never seen an insect in need of a rebreather, but this one was outfitted with such an accessory. Perhaps it would be retrofitted when it could find a host, but for now the tubes attached to its helmet reached back to long, triangular packs it wore on its back. The second characteristic Araha had never seen before would never wish to see again. This creature's height, well over seven feet. Neptusians, Darling muttered. A second armoured praying mantis emerged from the infinity room and its dark lenses stopped on the two of them. Right! Darling tossed Bollings his bulldog, then shouldered the Edison Wesson rifle. One more incendiary round! And with a crackle from the rifle's transformer, the shell exploded against the Neptusian's tank, turning the creature and its rebreather into a seven-foot-tall bomb. The lead soldier was kicked forward while screams could be heard coming from the infinity room. Time to get into the game, Conrad, Darling said before turning to Araha. Agent Murphy, you're with me. Darling picked up the alien pistol and rifle. The bizarre hand cannon slipped into his hip holster as if it was meant to be there. Just as I thought. It would have been impossible for Araha, or so she thought, to be unsettled by anything after seeing a seven-foot praying mantis from Neptune. However, understanding Darling's mind was even more worrisome. These weapons, while Neptunian in origin, were designed for humans? As Conrad's double told us in so many words, Agent Murphy, he began, looking over the brilliant rifle that cast an eerie glow upon him. They were adapting to their new bodies— Perhaps some sort of transmogrification that was experimental, even for the Neptusians. He slipped the alien rifle across his back and looked around the two of them. 
The mind can only speculate and wonder now, can it? Araha was about to answer when she saw in the shadows by the imprisoned townspeople a long cabinet. Darling, over there. She slid back one of the doors with her good hand to reveal a row of rebreathers, designed more for humans than for oncoming invaders. Excellent. He removed his pith helmet, then nodded back to the infinity room. Now the door, if you please. Aroha looked back at the metal hatch. A third Neptusian was emerging while the first one knocked clear was struggling to get back to a full standing position. Fortunately for what Aroha needed to do, she did not need accuracy. With her left hand, she released the safety on the transformer. The generator's whine quickly spun up to a higher pitch, and the charge was at full when the latest Neptusian stepped free of the door. The blast of electricity knocked all three invaders, while Conrad dealt a lethal headshot to the original Neptusian. Darling drew the pistol and fired off a test shot into the infinity room. They both heard the scream. Now, Agent Murphy, this next part, I assure you, I will like far less than you will. Aroha looked at the wild flashes of light coming from the open portal, and then back to Darling. Are you mad? Agent Murphy, I'm going to have to ask that you trust me. This is the only way we can stop the Neptusians. Once I go into the Infinity Room, you have to secure the hatch. Then I want you to destroy that analytical engine everyone here is answering to. It should not only destroy the Neptusians among us, but free the townsfolk here. No, Ian, there has to be another... Agent Murphy, if there was another way, I would gladly entertain it. He looked into the chamber as a high-pitched cry ripped through the sound of rushing air and flashes of light. On the brighter side of things, I enjoy an end to a career wherein I save the world. Far better than being remembered as an agent who lost his wits, eh what? Araha's throat tightened. I will make certain. People will know. Darling waved a finger at her. Have a care, Agent Murphy. What kind of spies would we be if we went on bragging about our exploits? He went to leave, but Aroha caught his arm. She then ripped from her neck her Punamu pendant and placed it in his coat pocket. For Aotearoa, Darling said, before placing the rebreather over his face. He gave the pistol two quick blasts before disappearing into the portal. Araha pushed against the hatch, but the door seemed to fight her with every inch. It was not until Bollings joined her when the light and sounds of alien gunfire disappeared. Lock it, she said over her shoulder to Bollings. Did you not hear me earlier? I said no, you're... Araha brought up the Edison Wesson pistol, pointed the large bell-shaped barrel at Bollings. Lock it, she said again. She could hear the sounds of metal slipping into secure position, each pin driving a knife into her heart. When the fourth and final pin slipped into place, Araha pulled the trigger. The master engine exploded before her and Bollings in a wild display of fire, sparks and explosions. You can't be serious. Araha protested, looking back at the motley crew standing behind her, and then turning back to Director Font. So I am to deduce, the fat man began, leaning back in his seat. 
The protests from the chair he sat in dared Aroha to crack a smile. She did not. You do not approve of this deputization of these citizens. They are not trained agents. Your superiors in the Wellington office said you were observant. He waggled his eyebrows. I could be looking at a future director of operations here in the Southern Hemisphere. Araha's eyes narrowed. There's no need for threats. Director Font's eyes jumped back to Araha. Her fingertips tingled suddenly, just as they would before a pub brawl where she would need her taiha at the ready. This was the first time she had met the director of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. It was still unclear to exactly how he managed to get to this South Island in such a small period of time. The official word from the Wellington office was that Director Font just so happened to be in Hong Kong, checking on the operations of that particular outpost. It was most convenient that the director of the ministry just happened to be within a swift airship's ride of Aotearoa. A little too convenient for Araha's liking. Agent Murphy, Font said, returning his piercing gaze to the report, her report, in front of him. As I read here, I am heartbroken to discover how the ministry failed one of their own. The fact that Agent Darling was unable to reach out to his own people, entrusting these good citizens with his secrets, tells me that we had a fine agent that we dismissed. That lack of attention and respect nearly cost us our very existence as a species. A soft clearing of a throat caught both their attentions. If I may... She was an older woman, her eyes soft and kind, a sharp contrast to the outfit she wore. While Darling looked ready for a safari, this elder lady looked ready for combat in the skies, her leathers and flying cap stained with soot and grease. Aroha also noted on the woman's neck and cheek a substance that caught a faint glare off the sunlight. She recognised that residue as ether dust, usually found at disturbances involving time rifts, a peculiar occurrence so rare and so dangerous that Font himself would investigate them. I was rather close to Ian. Forgive me, Agent Darling. The tall gentleman standing by her side placed a hand on her shoulder and squeezed. She patted his hand gently and smiled at him. The gesture touched Aroha to her core. The woman's eyes gleamed with held-back tears. Agent Darling may have been disregarded by the Ministry, but his loyalty to you never wavered. And as insane as his notions were at times, our loyalty never wavered with him. We won't pretend that at first we thought he might have been partaking of the spirits, or just addled by fairy creatures, as it were, she continued. But I saw it for myself across several... Her voice faded as she looked among the others for what seemed to be a consensus, then added possibilities. Font nodded, then slid aside several pages of the report before him. His finger stopped on a single name. La Falconess, I presume. Time traveller? A specialist class, sir, she gave a quick curtsy and added. A time slip pirate, to be precise. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, he muttered as he returned to the list. Each of you have outstanding qualities and expertise, Quite the team, darling, assembled here. Font shook his head. He always was good at spotting talent. Director, Araha said, 
what Agent Darling uncovered. Font held up a finger. What Agent Darling and his team uncovered, Agent Murphy, if you please. A dimensional rift connecting our world with the furthest known planet of our star system exists here in Omaru. You want to entrust this in the hands of... A collection of eccentrics the world has never seen an equal to. Yes, Agent Murphy. Director Font reached to the opposite corner of the mayor's desk, sliding the document he found there before him, and upon reviewing its contents, signed it and embossed it with the official seal of the ministry. There you are, Mayor Bollings, he stated, handing the document to him. Bollings had been particularly gruff with Araha once he had completely recovered from the incidents at the Infinity Room. It seemed that Darling was right about the man's blatant racism. Even with saving his life, it brought her no favours. He gave her a sharp glare in response to her own, before turning his attention to what it was that Font had handed him. The League of Victorian Imagineers, he read from the paper in his grasp. What the bloody hell is this? It is Agent Darling's team, officially recognised by the Ministry, as an auxiliary group of our organisation, granted all the privileges that our agents are given. The LVI will set up their headquarters in the Meeks building, and they will watch over any and all activities surrounding the Infinity Room. Noting the quizzical nature of this slot, I would also ask they study that strange hypnosis array used on the good citizens of Omoru. I would imagine quite a treasure trove awaits a clever mind there. But who are we to answer to? spoke the tall man standing behind La Falconess. Aroha noted the lethal sidearm welded into the man's gauntlet. As she couldn't read his eyes from behind the dark lens spectacles he wore, it was impossible for her to read his intent. His carriage gave nothing away. Darling, for all his eccentricities, knew how to recruit people. It stands to reason that, being entrusted with such a secret, someone higher than us should know about it. Font leaned back in his chair. Dangerfield, is it? Roscoe Dangerfield? Uh, yes, sir. A most astute question you have there, Font said with a nod. It would appear that you already have a contact, in Wellington, as a matter of fact. And he motioned to Araha. Your butt here, Bolling snapped. One of the assembled LVI gasped in horror at the slur. Araha caught a muscle twitch in Dangerfield's jaw. I will not have the safety of Omaru in the hands of some garden club assembled by a madman and a mongrel for the North Island. Font raised a hand to quiet the protest burbling in the room like lava inside a volcano. The director laced his fingers together. I acknowledge your protest here, but to be fair, Lord Mayor, my authority, in light of recent events, supersedes yours. I beg your... And you may beg for my pardon before Her Majesty, if you so desire. This rather influential corner of New Zealand had been targeted by hostile extraterrestrial forces, managed to subdue many of the influential people of the port, including the mayor himself. Font leaned forward, the cold, calculating look he had directed earlier to Aroha, now solely focused on Bollings. You can explain to Her Majesty exactly how you failed to protect Omaru. She already has my own account on how the Ministry performed. Bolling's lips flailed for a moment as he tried to find an appropriate rebuttal, but he apparently had none. <laughs>
After a moment, he closed his mouth and nodded. So I thought. Font smiled warmly at this newly formed auxiliary of the ministry and then returned his attention to the papers before him. Thank you, everyone. That will be all. Bollings cleared his throat. <coughs> this is my office. And I have a continuing need for it. Thank you, Font returned. Shrouded in silence, the assembled took their leave. Font then spoke. Agent Murphy, would you please remain? Aroha watched everyone leave, and once the door closed, she remained standing. Maybe her somewhat insolent behaviour was about to be addressed. After signing the document before him, he looked over his spectacles and offered her a smile. Agent Murphy, you've been something of a busy bee here in the Southern Hemisphere. I wanted to commend you on a job well done. She nodded. Thank you, sir. Taking Agent Darling under your wing was asking quite a lot of you. Aroha felt a crooked smile cross her face, but it faded rather quickly. To be true, Director, it was I who was under Darling's wing. He was, is one of our finest agents I have ever been assigned to. Agent Ian Darling is one of the Ministry's greatest agents. While reports of his scrum with Methuselah's order left him with unfortunate consequences, I still believed him to be the best of our kind. Is that why you put him out to pasture here in Omaru, then? She braced herself for the director's ire, but Aroha was stunned to surprise at the odd, mischievous grin that formed across his face. Is that what you think? A strange chill crawled under her skin as she felt an epiphany overcome her. You knew this was going to happen. An invasion from another world? In Omaru? Araha now slipped into the modest chair positioned before the Lord Mayor's desk. How did you... I see great things in your future, Agent Murphy. But such intelligence as I possess is on a need-to-know basis. Perhaps when you decide to take the grand chair at our Wellington branch, will you be privy to such things? For now, let's just say, I suspected something afoot here. And I needed my best man in the field. Darling was perfect. Araha smiled at the memory of the dashing gentleman, but then felt something catch in her throat. He gave his life for an empire that had turned their backs on him. On the contrary, Font said with a rakish wink. Did you see a dead body? None was at the city morgue. The document she had watched him sign slipped neatly into a dossier. As far as the archives and official records are concerned... Agent Ian Darling is classified as missing while on assignment. His file will reflect only the best of character and actions. Thank you, sir. Araha gently chewed on her lip as she now considered this new command she was given here in Omaru. So this auxiliary. Font waved a hand in the air, chortling as he did so. This will be nothing but a doddle for you. A monthly ether missive to check on this lot. Perhaps even an occasional visit to a steampunk HQ here? Araha laughed at that. <laughs> steampunk HQ. I rather like the sound of that. She cast a quick glance to the door and then back to Font. Anything I should advise our newly deputised agents of? Just one charge, I ask of them. And Font sat back in his chair again. His voice dropped to something of a menacing whisper. 
Watch the skies, my friends. Watch the skies. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Operation Endgame and the Curse of the Silver Pharaoh. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. An Imagine That Studios production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.